great to have you. I love Sundays. This is my favorite day of the week, and uh, I'm so grateful that we get to do this together every Sunday, come together, and, uh, and be on the journey with one another. So it's a blessing. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. I hope that you know we haven't forgotten your beautiful faces. Probably some of you we haven't met. And, uh, and I was thinking uh, about our online community and thought, man, I just want to give you a hug. And then I thought, well, we don't even do that in person. But I think that's just how I feel uh, my affection towards you. So thanks for staying engaged. I want to give a shout out to those of you who are tuning in outside, grateful for you. And then uh, all of the people who are part of our live studio audience, uh, you're, you're a gift. You're a gift to me. My name is Daniel. I'm part of the team here at Eden, and we are all about helping people on the journey of faith because like Chelsea mentioned, and uh, one of the things that we've realized is that you cannot do this alone and succeed and flourish and thrive. But what we realize is if we can link arms and do it together, chances are we're a lot more likely to get to where we're trying to go. And so that's what we're doing here at Eden. And uh, today we're continuing in a series that we started last week called Future Church. I don't know if you've noticed this in your conversations or in some of the media outlets that you are consuming, but it seems like there are so many people, a lot of experts, speculating about the future of our world, maybe more than I've ever heard before. And that makes a lot of sense because we are living in really uncertain times and people are asking a lot of questions like, what is, questions like what's the future of business? Will we get to continue to work from home? What's the future of education? What is the future of, 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 of exercise and even, even online dating, right? We're asking a lot of questions about the future and it all makes sense. But as a church, we've been asking a lot of the same types of questions like what is the future of the church? Are we going to be an online-only church again? How do we serve people well in our current climate? How do we meet the needs of the community that we live in? We've been asking a lot of questions. But I think the most important question that we've been asking over the last several months is the same question that we're trying to answer in this series. What must be true about the church for it to be faithful into the future? What must be true about the church for it to be faithful into the future? And I believe partly why we're asking these types of questions is because we believe at the core of our faith that the church is the hope of the world. And if we're going to see God fulfill his vision in the church, we're going to have to begin asking the questions of what does it look like to be a faith-filled community in this next season of life. And one thing I've come to realize is that chances are it is probably not going to be easy. But I think because of who we serve, it's possible to see the church thrive in the middle of uncertainty, to see the community of faith shine in the middle of darkness, to see this community be the salt and the light in a world that is tired and worn out. And so today, we're going to talk about why, why that is possible, why that is possible. I wonder, you don't have to raise your hand, but you can respond internally. How many of you have ever been picked on by a bully? Right? It's no fun. It's traumatic. And, uh, and it's just a really kind of challenging experience. And, uh, and I did too. When I was in middle school, I thought in most settings I could handle myself. I was the youngest of seven brothers, seven boys, right? So when you grow up in the hood of my home, 
All right? You learn how to defend yourself. You have to make sure that you're getting your nutrients at dinner time, and everybody's scrambling for the food. Okay, so I thought that I could handle myself in most settings on the playground in middle school. But there was this one time where this big old boy, I don't remember his name, but I, in my mind's eye, I feel like he was at least six foot tall. He had a full-grown mustache, and he had, like, stubble from shaving, right, in, in sixth grade. He was a big old boy, and I remember one recess, he just started pushing me and, and kind of picking on me, and then, and then the dude crossed the line. He spit on my new shoes that my mom got for me, and I'm like, oh, man, you can tell your mama jokes, but you don't spit on the shoes that my mom worked that second job to get me, but he was so big, I didn't really know how to respond, and I remember feeling conflicted that day. And, uh, and, and feeling frustrated. My friends had consoled me. And then by the end of the day, uh, I came out of class, and I remember looking down the hallway, and I saw this guy down the hall. And this was the craziest turn of events that had happened up until this point in my life. We made eye contact, and he took off in a dead sprint. And I thought he must have heard that I was about to handle my business after school, right? But that's actually not what happened. What actually happened is that my brother, who was also on that campus, found out that I was being picked on in recess, and he showed up to my classroom at the end of the school, and when I walked out, I didn't see him. I just saw the bully, but my brother was standing behind me, and the guy didn't make eye contact with me. He made eye contact with my brother, and my brother started chasing him, and that's why he started running. <laughs> and you know what I learned that day? I got to join a gang because I can't do it on my own. No, that's not what I learned. This is what I learned. I learned that day that you don't have to fight every battle on your own. I learned that day you don't have to fight every battle on your own. And what I have found is that this is true spiritually, that I am not fighting my battles alone. I'm not in the struggle alone. In fact, what God has promised us is that he would send someone to help us to find victory in our life over the battles and the struggles that we face. And I think that when we look at Scripture, he has promised the same thing to the church. And that is why I believe that it is possible that even in the midst of uncertainty that the church can thrive. That even in the midst of darkness, that the church can be a light. It is not because of what we have done, but it's because of who God has supplied for us. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to be in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And it talks about the life of Jesus and the development of the early church movement that came about from the community of people that follow Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts, which is a short history of the origins of the early church movement. It was written by a guy named Luke. He was a historian, and he took some detailed notes about Jesus' life, and he wrote a biography of Jesus' life. We also know that to be the Gospel of Luke. But then he wrote a sequel to Jesus' life, which details the history of the church, which is the book of Acts. And last week, we started reading through the book of Acts, the first verses in the first chapter, and it was where Jesus had a meeting with some of his key leaders and Jesus began casting vision for these leaders about a brand new type of faith experience. He said, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That was amazing. He promised to be with them, which was also amazing. But he gave them some instructions. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. And this would have been an interesting statement 
to the leaders of that time because they all had come from Jewish backgrounds because what Jesus was instructing them to do was actually going to be a shift in their mentality about everything that they had known in their own faith experience. Because Jews up until that point had largely connected with God at the temple and through the priests. And what Jesus was saying to them is that the presence of God from this point forward was not going to be limited to the temple, but it would be now present in every believer. How many of you guys remember this old store? Some of you may remember it. Some of you may not. Blockbuster. You guys remember the store Blockbuster, right? This was back in the day. If you grew up back in the day, on a Friday night, you go to Blockbusters, you rent a few videos, grab some Mike and Ike, some Whoppers, Red Vines, and then you were set for the weekend, right? But then what happened? A little company called Netflix came out. And all of a sudden, you didn't have to use your own legs and use your own gas to get in the car. They would deliver the DVDs to your house, right? And it completely eliminated the business model of Blockbuster. And pretty soon, Blockbuster became this irrelevant model for renting videos. It became obsolete. And in a sense, what Jesus is saying is about this old structure of faith is that eventually it became obsolete. You didn't have to go to the temple to meet with God. His spirit dwelled within every believer. And so Jesus came with this fresh vision about the future of the church. And he told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. This is where we pick up in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues or fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not too long after Jesus' last conversation with this group of people, the apostles, they started meeting together in Jerusalem, and it, it says that they were meeting during the festival of Pentecost. Pentecost was this Jewish celebration that happened 50 days after Yom Kippur, which was the most important celebration on the Jewish calendar. And so you had people traveling from all around the region coming into Jerusalem to celebrate this festival. And the apostles were actually doing what Jesus told them to do. They were waiting. He said, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Now, I imagine this would have been a very interesting experience. Have you ever been waiting for someone and you don't know what they look like? It's kind of all, it's not a comfortable, I've been in that experience a number of times, and you would have thought by now, I would just say, hey, what are you wearing, so that I can identify you or share with them what I'm wearing. But when you're waiting for someone, and you don't know what they look like, you're kind of waiting to meet eye contact with every person who walks in the room, until they kind of acknowledge that they're looking for someone too. So I think it could have been an interesting experience, but then Luke tells us that there was like this catastrophic supernatural moment in the room where they were waiting, it says that there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. If you've ever been around in a storm, the sound can be deafening, right? So this was not like this subtle experience, but it was this, it was this, this pivotal moment. And, uh, and, it's, and it makes sense because when we look at the Old Testament word for God's spirit, it's ruah, and it means breath or wind uh, and then the New Testament word is pneuma, which also means breath, wind, and, and both communicate this idea of God's invisible energy. 
And that's exactly what they were experiencing, this powerful energy. And it says that everyone that was present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then flames of tongues appeared over all of them. This was also an important detail that Luke records, because all throughout Scripture, fire was often associated with the presence of God. Some of you might be familiar with the Old Testament and the story of Moses and the burning bush. In Scripture, God is referred to as a consuming fire. And then when we look at the Old Testament uh, practices and rhythms of worship, there was this continual fire in the temple representing the presence of God. And so this moment was like this symbolism that God's Spirit took up residence within every believer, within his people. And this was all part of the plan. Look at what it says in John 14, verse 16. It says, And I will ask the Father, Jesus is speaking, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Jesus promised that there was going to be someone, an advocate, a helper, to support his leaders in the ministry of the church. And the reason why God sent his spirit was because he knew that the battle they were facing was too big for them to accomplish by themselves. He knew that the battle that they were stepping into was a spiritual battle and they needed help. And so the Bible tells us whenever we look at the Holy Spirit that oftentimes it's associated with power. In Luke chapter 1 verse 30, it talks about the Holy Spirit and God's power. In Luke 4:14 it says that Jesus returned in the Spirit's power. In Luke 24, verse 49, it talked about the Holy Spirit's power. And then in Acts 1, it says, Jesus said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. One writer says that the best way to, under, to understand the Holy Spirit is that the Holy, Spirit's, Holy Spirit is God's empowering spirit. That God sent his spirit to empower his people. And he came to empower us in two ways. Number one, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to live blessed lives. I don't know if that sounds weird to you, but we're going to make a case for it this morning. Scripture says that Jesus came so that we would experience abundant life. And whenever it talks about abundant life, it is talking about the fullest expression and experience of life that is possible. A life that is full of meaning, a life that is full of purpose, a life that is void of all the weight and pain that we carry when we make selfish decisions. It is this abundant life that God wanted us to have. And look at what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against these things. And what it is telling us is that when you are living in alignment with the Spirit, it produces all sorts of good in your life. And notice that it didn't say the fruit of the Spirit is a brand new house. The fruit of the Spirit is a nice car or a perfect career path or a perfect relationship or a big paycheck. It has nothing to do with achievement and everything to do with character. Because what you have probably learned in life, like I have learned, is that you can have what you always wanted 
But if you had to give up your soul to get it, it isn't worth it. And this is what scripture calls gaining the world and losing your soul. And what you've also learned is that you could have everything that you thought was valuable taken from your life. And if you were living a righteous life, you realize that you probably never needed the things that you lost anyways. So the Spirit is about producing this abundant eternal life of, internal life of love, joy, peace, and patience. And from the inside, the Holy Spirit begins to empower us to overcome addiction. The Holy Spirit can empower us to choose hope in a season when we feel desperate. The Holy Spirit empowers us to not quit when get, things get hard or to do the right thing when we have the opportunity to do the wrong thing. It is the Spirit that is working and forming inside of us, leading us. It is the Spirit that empowers us to choose to do good in our lives. And what Scripture tells us is that when we can, can continue to live righteous life, a righteous life, it opens up the Spirit in our lives and we experience the blessed life. It's the same way that like when you go to the bathroom or the shower and you turn the faucet, and the more you turn the faucet, the more that it releases water into the sink. And, and when we begin to live like this righteous life, when we follow the way of Jesus, it begins to open up and declutter all the things that are in our life. And we get to live in alignment with this supernatural spirit that God provides for us. But scripture also tells us, tells us that we can quench the spirit. And I think that's why so often people will come to church and they'll do all the right things, but there are things that are going on inside of their heart, and they'll walk away from their faith experience saying that it didn't do anything for them. But part of that is because we have quenched the ability for the Spirit to do work in our life because of decisions that we have made. We've blocked them out. But the Spirit empowers us to live blessed lives. But the Holy Spirit also empowers us to be the church. The empowering of the church that comes from the Holy Spirit is what we call spiritual gifts. And there are four different sections in the New Testament that talk about how God uniquely equips his church to be witnesses in the world. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13 is one of those passages. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of the the body of Christ. And these gifts that they talk about in Ephesians chapter 4 are only experienced to equip the church to serve the world and to build up people. And I really hate to do this, but I'm going to make a Star Wars reference. <laughs> if you have ever seen Star Wars, I don't know how you're interpreting this, but I'm convinced that George Lucas looked at the Bible's description of the Holy Spirit and he came up with the idea of the force. Okay, right? You know the force empowers these people to do these things. But this is a picture of what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers. It is this, this in some ways, this untangible uh, dis description of God's ability to empower his people to push the vision forward. But the question probably for some of us is like we hear this, and maybe it's elevating our expectation of what faith could be like in our lives. But we're asking the question, How? Like, how do we even begin to experience the Holy Spirit in our life? There are two main ways. Number one, when we trust Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 says, And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. What is beautiful about what is said here in this passage is that there is no work required on your part. There is no testing. There's no scripture memorization. It is not like, uh, where, where, where do we go to get your driver's license? The DMV. All right, scripture says that when you believe that God loved you enough to send his son to sacrifice his life on your behalf, you became part of the family of faith because that act in your life was a sign that your heart was open to receive what God has for you. And that's why for so many people after they have chosen to follow Jesus, there is like this little shift in their perspective. The way that they saw life before isn't the way that they see life now. The things that they like to do before aren't always as fun as they aren't as fun as they used to be. The things that they never thought that they would want to do, they start wanting to do. And most of it doesn't make sense according to our reason and our logic. But if you consider the Spirit of God, then you realize that the Spirit can awaken inside you something that you didn't know existed before. That's the first step. The second step is about ordering your habits in a way that allows you to see more of God in your life. Historically, people have called these habits spiritual disciplines. So that's like reading the Bible and praying and being a part of a community of faith and studying scripture, talking to others about Jesus, being generous in your lifestyle, serving others. These are all spiritual disciplines that over time, as you develop them in your life, begin to sort of give you a lens to everything that you're experiencing. You all of a sudden begin to see more of God in your everyday experiences. Things that you had done for years and you never thought God was a part of that experience. You're beginning to see God's influence in it. It's these spiritual disciplines. Look at what 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 9 says. It says, instead train yourselves to be godly. Other translations say discipline yourself for the sake of godliness. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Spiritual disciplines are how we organize our lives to see more of God's work all around us. It's how we develop systems in our life to grow our faith even when we don't want to. It's how we prepare in good times for the challenging times. It's how we feel, feed the spirit within us more than we feed our flesh. That is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It brings us into a world that maybe we didn't know existed. Because for most of us in the Western world, what is most palatable for our minds are the things that we can see and touch and feel and taste. But when the Spirit of God enters our story, we realize that there is a reality far beyond those things that we can sense with our soul. And what God promises is that he wants to empower you to be victorious over the battles and the struggles that we face in this world. He is our helper. Years ago, when we first started the church, my son Grayson and Cohen, they were big helpers, right? Because uh, 
It doesn't look like it now, but when, back in the day, we used to have to wheel all of our equipment in on cases from a truck. And so every Sunday, we would wheel it in, probably 30, 40, 50 cases into two or three trailers, and then every Sunday, we would wheel it out. Now, the boys weren't there always in the morning, and we were most of the time trying to keep them distracted. But on, on the back end of service, they loved to come and help tear down service. And I remember one Sunday, Grayson came up to me as we were pushing a case, and it was a big, heavy case. And he said, Daddy, can I help? And he said, yeah. And I put my hands on top to help him push it because I thought it was too big for him to push. And he said, no, Daddy, I can do it on my own. And so he puts his hand on the back of this case, probably the size of this TV. And he starts to push as hard as he can. And he's sort of grunting. And he's like manipulating his body to put all of his weight to try to move the case. And nothing. That thing did not move an inch. And then, without telling him, I put my hands on the top of the case. And he didn't see me. And I started pushing behind him. And the case started moving. And he felt like he had accomplished something great. That is what the Holy Spirit does for all of us. In seasons and in circumstances in life that we are working as hard as we can. We are doing all that we can with the resources we have available to us, pushing as hard as we can. And it's not working. It's not moving. We're not pushing anything forward. But God never intended for us to live this life alone. You were never, never meant to figure this out by yourself. And that's why God sent his spirit. So that when you were in those dark moments and you didn't know what to do, you had the spirit of God inside of you. You had his word to remind you of a greater truth than what your circumstance was telling you. And I know that there are probably some of us here today that have showed up to this place and very little of what I have said made any sense to you. Maybe conceptually we understand it, but experientially we don't have the knowledge. But the Bible tells us that it is one little step that it takes to step out of the lane of not understanding what it means to have faith to stepping into God's story for your life. And the Bible says that all we have to do is to be willing to admit that maybe we don't have it all figured out in this life. And to invite Jesus into our hearts, into our stories. And to trust that God loved us enough that he would sacrifice his son on the cross to carry the weight of our sin and our selfish decisions. Because what we're realizing at some point, all of us have realized this, is that we can't do it on our own. And we will never be the church that God intended for us to be if we keep trying to do it on our own. It is only when in our weakness we recognize that God's strength is made perfect and we invite him into the process. And this morning, if that is your story, if you have never taken that step of faith to trust Jesus with your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And we're not going to make it awkward or hard or challenging. We want to just give you the opportunity in the quietness of your own heart and mind and spirit to say, God, I want to trust you. God, I want to try faith for the first time. God, I want to experience what it's like 
to be filled with the Spirit and to live a blessed life, a life that is full of peace and joy and contentment. I want that. If that's you this morning, I'm going to encourage all of us right now to go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you want to take that step of faith this morning, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer after me in your heart, no matter where you are, whether you're online, outside, or in the room this morning, and to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus died to give you. Dear God, I want to thank you for loving me and for sacrificing your life on my behalf. I want to thank you for not giving up on me. I want to thank you for not that you didn't stop pursuing me. And this morning, I want to give my life to you because I believe that you can do more with it than I can. This morning, I want to invite you to come into my life, to come into my heart, and to give me a peace that only comes from you and does not come from this world. Today, I want to begin following you. I pray all this in Jesus' name, I believe. I want to encourage you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I want to encourage those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to quickly just slip your hand up in the air and let us know what God is doing in this place. God bless you. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. God, we just thank you for all the movement internally that is happening in this room and in the lives of so many people. God, we thank you that you are continuously at work and that at every season of life, God, you are calling us to greater levels of faithfulness, not because you want more from us, but because you know that if we trust you with more of our life, we will experience more of you, more of that blessed life. And this morning, God, I pray that we as a church would continue to rely not on our power, but on your power to accomplish the vision that you have set before us. And God, I pray that we would continue to invite your spirit into this place every Sunday as we come together and we sing these truths and we raise our hands and we lift our voices. God, would you allow for all of those things to work in unison with the spirit in our lives to change us from the inside out, that we walk out of this place different people than we walked in and we go into our jobs different people than we were last week because the Spirit is filling us and using us and transforming us from the inside out. God, I thank you for this church and I thank you for the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.